Freightonomics. I'm Zach Strickland, Director or Head of Freight Market Intelligence here at uh, Freightways. And with me, as always, Chief Economist Anthony Smith. And we're here to address one thing today, Anthony. Actually, two things. I'm going to lead off with a little bit of something different here in a minute. But uh, stagflation uh, today is the big topic. What is it? What's it all about? Anthony, I'm going to interview you. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. So are we just jumping into it? Let's jump in. Okay. So if I'm looking down, I'm also looking at LinkedIn um, from time to time. If you want to jump into the conversation, get a part, you want to cancel Jack or Zach. Why did I say Jack? Already canceled. I'm Jack now. <laughs> He's Jack now. Zach is gone. If you want to cancel Zach, uh, feel free to jump in. But yeah, stagflation is going to be one of those economic terms where it's almost like contradictory because when you look at the principles of economics, you think of supply and demand and those forces pull on each other and one's going to in influence price more than it is. It's, so it's like the bare basics. But in stagflation, um, you can have stagflation without recession, but the two sometimes go hand in hand. They're not the same thing. Because we, we've been bouncing around with this idea, we're going into a recession. Yeah. But we, we, we're starting to see the beginnings of something else in this stagflation. So we're going to dive into that in a bit. But we only have 26 minutes yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to get through some things. And I think one thing that we've got to address, uh, and I feel we have a responsibility to address, it's been all over social media, and for some reason this is a debated topic, and I can't figure out exactly why. Uh, and all it, all it really is is this idea that companies are ordering less goods mm. coming from across the ocean. And I don't understand. We've got inventory growth. Uh, that's been at record levels. Uh, we've talked about that with uh, the Rogers crew out there in Colorado. And it's been happening for months. And then we're seeing demand side uh, indicators waning. It's not that everything's just falling apart. Yeah. You know, we talk about this cresting the peak. You know, industrial side construction, consumer demand has crested essentially earlier in the year. Like, well, actually in 2021, at the end of 2021, uh, was basically when we crossed over there. So when you talk about shippers or companies ordering goods at a 44% higher clip than they would normally do because they can't keep pace and they don't know when their goods are going to get there, all of a sudden some of, those, some of that demand erodes because people are traveling, going to restaurants more, they're not spending as much money, and God knows they're spending more money on gas mm -hmm. than ever before. Also, they're spending more money on those goods <laughs> than, they, than they used to. So... All of this combined says one thing. There's going to be less goods demand to materialize at some point versus where we were last year. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, when you look at, um, of course, there was talks of a switch to services from goods um, some time ago. But overall, when you're looking at the conditions in the economy, producers ordering less overseas is probably a good thing. I mean, when you look at the inventory that's been building up, there's so many issues to work through. There's the wrong supply. There's damage supply yeah. in some warehouses that aren't going to be able to go out, but warehouse prices are at a premium. That's going to be one of the things that we have to watch closely because as it continues to kind of go downstream, because we're still seeing the producer price index increase, we're still seeing uh, growth for inflation, unfortunately. That shows that relatively there's still a runway for consumers. Some producers are still taking on some price increases that they have not yet passed on the consumer, even though this seems like they've passed everything along, and especially with grocery stores and gas prices. But there are still some things that have still been withheld. We spoke to the Zach, uh, uh, Zach <laughs> Rogers and, and Dale Rogers last week, and one of the great points is sometimes it get passed on to distribu distributors and intermediaries as well through PLs. But 
there's still a lot more pricing pressure to get passed along. And so we still haven't seen the full blunt of inflation. And when we're looking at these producers, they also are, are, have the, the role of employing so many people. We've looked at the right. job openings number at record levels. Um, if there is a bubble in the economy, this is definitely one of them. And what we see typically with producers, uh, employers that are going to be in the goods market, they're going to be reactionary instead of proactive. And so once the proof is in the pudding, the, the, the recessions or, or any kind of slowdowns written on the wall, that's when they'll start closing down those job openings, potentially doing layoffs, things like that. And it's one thing to have inflation in the goods market. It's a scary thing to get inflation in the services as yeah. well because in the goods market, okay, there's a supply and demand issue. Let's just ramp up production a little bit. Let's kind of get a little bit more efficient with our production. Right. Services is a whole other ballgame that you kind of have to operate through, and it's going to be a lot more tricky if we do start to see a lot more inflationary pressure on services. And, of course, as part of the stagflation discussion that we'll get to here in a minute, but a lot of the, uh, you know, I guess what I needed to set the table. One of the things that I was responding to here is Henry Byers wrote an article a few weeks ago talking about import demand falling off a cliff. And there's been tons of responses to this and people debating whether or not it's accurate. It, it happened. It is a data point that happened. What is, what is confusing is what does it mean? And I think that's the part that people are missing. It's people are definitely booking less freight coming across the water. I, I literally wrote a chart of the week about it. Their, their, their BOLs, the, the bills that they're ordering, are about on par with where they were last year. So shipments... Like the count of actual shipments is about on par with last year, but they're ordering less freight within those shipments. That's one aspect of it. The second aspect of it is the difference between the import customs, the, the shipments and TU volumes that have actually cleared customs, and the orders being placed across the ocean. The thing that Henry wrote his article on was on those bookings, those orders that were being placed for TU volumes coming across the water. <laughs> Smaller, <laughs> much smaller than it has been. It's still not all the way back to where it was in 2019, but it is taking a pretty big stair step down. And that's the thing. And Stiefel, uh, very well-respected financial uh, services. Yeah, they do great stuff. Uh, yeah, we, we know a lot of people there. We've worked with people there. Fantastic stuff. But they, it, what's confusing to me is that they've, they've missed this one detail in their report about how they say that we're not seeing this dip in demand in our customs data. Neither are we, Stiefel. <laughs> so I want to pull up this one chart to kind of pull this in because everybody, I think everybody would relate to visuals uh, better if we have the one chart that I have here, the TEU chart, uh, if we can go ahead and show that. So this is our IOTI. That's the thing that Henry wrote his article on. In the blue line, uh, you can see a pretty big dip there. So that's going to be an index that measures bookings of TEUs, 20-foot equivalent containers, coming from all over the world into the United States. That second data point there in green is the customs data. So this is the, the shipment counts of things that have cleared the ports of lading in the United States. And you can see that there's actually a 3% increase in customs clearing the, uh, the ports. And then there's the bookings, which of course is 31% is lower than it was this time last year. So. That's step one, is, is acknowledging that customs shipments are very different than the bookings. Mm -hmm. Now, the step two that you've got to understand, uh, because we've had boats sitting outside these ports for over a year, stacked up. So 
they have not been able to handle the amount of volume efficiently enough to make the connection with, okay, bookings are you know, now doing up or down. Well, they've had so much backlog at the ports, they're, just, they're, hit, they're at capacity in terms of clearing these orders. So you'll never see, you won't see that dip in the IOTI that you see there until they work through that whole backlog. Because right now they're just functioning at capacity. Um, and so, but what it does mean for the future is that shippers are expecting to need less goods coming to the United States. Yeah, and I think that's a huge point there. So this, this it's like a, a classic, um, I wouldn't say issue, but somewhat of an issue that sometimes you run into when just talking about some economic data sets is what are your terms? What are you talking to? And so is uh, when we're talking about like say freight recession, what are your terms for a freight recession? When you're talking about growth, what's your terms for growth? Is it rate of growth or is it absolute volume? Where, where are your terms that you're kind of establishing here? So I think when we're looking at this, this kind of sets the table, like you said, for what are the terms that we're talking to and what the implications are for the data set that we're looking at. Yeah, I mean, you have to understand that big crucial detail. We're looking into the future. These bookings tend to take about 28 to 35 days before they hit the United States on average. Uh, you know, in aggregate. And that's obviously very wide range depending on the port of uh, origination there. But uh, point being, no, you would not have seen anything in customs yet because that is stuff that has cleared. The stuff Henry's talking about is the stuff that's being ordered. And that even then, even when they're ordering less, we have such an inefficient system around the ports right now. And again, there's a lot of political noise and barking going on, so be careful, <laughs> uh, that they're not going to be, it's not going to materialize itself in this exact same fashion because the capacity, there's so much backlog and, and congestion around railheads uh, and, and things like that as well. Drayage is still a mess. Yeah. Um, that it, it's not going to translate exactly in the same way. But shippers are definitely ordering less. And what's the time frame on this day that we're getting? So this is every day. It gets updated every day. It's a 10-day moving average. Uh, so again, it's an, it's an index. And the idea is to get, garner direction. Yeah. <laughs> Indexes are there to show you direction. And the direction is shippers are ordering about 30% less than they did last year. Now, keep in mind, last year was about 50 to 60% more than they would normally do in a normal year. So take what you will from that. We're, we're still not all the way back uh, to where we were. The IoT, I think, is right around uh, 150 or maybe it's a 120, uh, which would, no, it's a 127, uh, which means it's 27% higher than when the index started in January of 2019, which was in the midst of the trade war pull forward. Yeah. So we're still operating at a pretty high level. Now, uh, before we transition into stagflation, one article that we had uh, came out. We reported on freight waves. Uh, G Greg Miller talking, uh, quoting Gene Soroka uh, out there in the port of Los Angeles, uh, basically saying, peak season's still coming, and we still expect to see strong imports. Well, Gene Soroka's going to say this <laughs> because Gene Soroka has an interest in that happening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, is, that is the nature of the beast, and I do not fault him for doing this whatsoever, but... Uh, it does inherently dispute some of our forward-looking data, like, I, like the Henry Byers article, the IOTI. So we need to address this a little bit and break it apart. So he's saying uh, things are still going well. Well, yeah, we just saw that in the customs data. You're still seeing about the same amount of TEUs coming through that you saw this time last year, and that's because 
it takes 28 to 35 days for those volumes to shrink. And also, you've still got a bunch of boats out in the water. So he says, May's total throughput was 967,020 uh, foot equivalents, uh, making it the third best month in the port's history. Yeah. Behind May of 2021. <laughs> uh, so again, the idea that we are seeing some level of erosion doesn't mean the bottom fell out. It yeah. just means that there is a directional shift lower year over year. Uh, and then here's another thing. They call this out as a positive. Southern California's ship queue is getting shorter. There were 27 container vessels waiting for berths in Los Angeles and, or Long Beach on Tuesday, down from a high of 109. Mm. Tell me how that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Did they get more efficient at the port to where all of a sudden they were able to clear out this clog of demand? More than likely not. Mm -hmm. I think it's a pretty safe assumption that they're seeing less goods coming in, but that queue, like I said, that backlog is now shrinking. So we're going to be able to see that translation a little bit quicker because they're ordering less stuff. Right. Um, so, and then of course, uh, one of the biggest takeaways here kind of diverge, you know, moving away from this idea that we need to clarify some of the data points. Uh, there is a potential disruption coming up in the way that the labor negotiation between the ports uh, is coming due July 1st. And they were talking about how there is still no agreement on either side. So that could be another potential uh, bottleneck where even though they're ordering less, you're still going to see that congestion build up uh, around the ports if they can't get something worked out. Yeah, that's, I think that's a huge part because this is kind of back to some of the beginning parts of the pandemic issues that we're talking to, um, not just with labor, but also infrastructure as well. Um, talking about how do we deal with some of the supply chain issues. Infrastructure has to be built out. Labor has to be sorted out as well but that's not gonna happen overnight. So, I mean, this is definitely gonna be a meaningful aspect here. Right. So, with that being said, now that we've got the maritime side cleared up, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, again, a lot of people not saying things that are untrue. It's just a lack of understanding of some of the nuance of some of these data points because nobody's ever seen uh, an index like the, the one we see here. Yeah. And, and there may be some, you know, uncomfortability or just unfamiliarity that we need to clarify to make sure everybody's on the same page because data's data and you need to understand what it's telling you for you to interpret it correctly. Um, so moving forward into stagflation. Yeah. First thing I want to ask you, Anthony, is exactly what is stagflation? Sure. So, I mean, it's, it's an interesting scenario. You'll usually see slower economic growth, increase in prices for goods, and then you'll also see a rise in unemployment. And so those are gonna be some of the, the, the key components to stagflation. And the interesting thing is you'll see a rise in unemployment. And, and traditionally, when you think of supply and demand, unemployment goes up, that means that folks are gonna be purchasing fewer goods, that should mean that prices are gonna come down. That's not the case with stagflation. We've seen this interesting economic phenomena happen before in history. I think the first time it was noted was in Europe and the UK. I believe sometime in the 1960s, don't quote me on that, I gotta do a couple fact-checking <laughs> on that one. Um, but we've seen it before in U.S. history as well, and it's a tricky one to navigate because when you look at some of the causes, there's different schools of thoughts of what causes stagflation. Some um, schools of thoughts for some economists are gonna say that there's an increase in the essential goods prices. And so you're looking at energy, you're looking at food, because um, this is not something that's gonna be directly impacted if there's just a shortage of a supply of a certain good. Um, and there's still essential 
for uh, human, you know, day-to-day life, essentially, um, that's going to be one of those areas that keeps that pricing pressure a little bit sticky, despite some of the... Like food and gas? Yeah, food and gas, exactly. <laughs> and so despite right. some of those increases in unemployment levels. Yeah, so the one aspect I think we're missing from all this right now is that un- unemployment number. Yeah. Because right now we're still kind of coming out of this period of super hyper growth. Uh, you know, we just talked about how we're kind of on the cusp of this transition to mm-hmm. a slower growth cycle um, at, the, at the moment. If it continues, obviously we're going to a you know, recessionary environment. Mm-hmm. So explain the difference between stagflation and a recession. How, sure. What are some of the main differences there? So uh, stagflation, just straight up slower economic growth. That's going to be the big thing. When you look at recession, that's going to be back-to-back quarters of declining growth. So you look at GDP, that's going to be the, the, the measure that's most widely used for most um, aspects of growth. That's going to be in quarters, so three-month periods. So essentially six months of declining growth, and so um, back-to-back consecutively. Right. So those, that's going to be a recession. Stagflation can happen without a recession, but it's likely going to cause or lead into a recession um, if those issues aren't kind of worked out. And you also have um, different aspects around stagflation that some people also go into consideration of um, poor government policies as well as being one of them. And so that could be one where you're looking at interest rates or if you're looking at tax uh, um, policies, things like that, that can also start to play into um, areas of stagflation as well. Now, we just had a huge, uh, like, rate increase from yeah. the Fed yesterday, 75 basis points. Um, so to the upside, so what do you think of that? Do you think that that's actually a good thing? Like, are we still kind of in that space where that makes sense? But I, I read something the other day that said that it's actually not great in the way that they made a last second guidance adjustment mm-hmm. in the way they pushed it 25 basis points higher, yeah. from fifth from a half a percent gain, uh, in the way that a lot of the market had to ingest at the last minute this new information and it created more volatility, mm-hmm. and it was a negative. Mm-hmm. So what are, what are your thoughts on that increase? It, so it doesn't surprise me too much just knowing Jerome Powell and who some of his mentors are. We've talked about it before, Paul Wagner, who went through the um, recession and uh, had to jack up interest rates quite a bit throughout the 1980s right. in order to combat some of that, some record level of inflations that were kind of starting to I wouldn't say rival, but we're getting there. Like that's yeah. our next closest competition right now that we're looking at um, in terms of history and historic happening. So he's not afraid to be, in his mind, you know, the villain that you know <laughs> <laughs> the U.S. economy needs right. to in order to um, sur- surpass this this bump here. Um, the thing is, is that this is likely a little late. So when we're looking at increasing interest rates, you want to do this at a point in time where the U.S. economy can take on those interest rate increases. We want to do it in a point in time where consumers can really adjust, businesses can adjust. This was really last year and really throughout a lot of that, you know, um, purchasing activity that we saw. And that's going to be the issue because I hate playing, you know, was it Monday night quarterback that day? Monday, Monday morning quarterback. Monday morning quarterback. But this is one of the areas that I think everyone in the economy knew that there's going to be inflationary pressures. There's this whole debate versus transitory versus ongoing. I'm like, hey, inflation might be transitory depending on your terms of transitory. You know, how <laughs> right? long is transitory for you? Sure. Um, so when we're looking at that, that's going to be one of those areas where, okay, hey, this likely should have happened some time ago. And now what we're looking at here, this increase rates, in- interest rate increases, this is likely a, a, a play, I think, by the Federal Reserve to show that they're doing something about inflation. Whether it's too late or not enough is, you know, out the window here. 
but they have to put on a good fight to say, hey, we're doing something here. We're fighting inflation. This, you make a fantastic point. And I, I have encountered this in my life at, at businesses yeah. uh, and, 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 you know, kind of to point out a certain sector. I was a finance major, so I can say this, you know, I'm kind of like the, uh, the guy that can criticize his own. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the financial group of people tends to be guilty of this more than any other group. Uh, and it is this knee-jerk reaction to, I have to show, I have to do something mm-hmm. to show that I did something. Otherwise, it looks like uh, I'm doing nothing and I'm just going to let things work out. And, and you're kind of justifying your existence in a yeah, way yeah. Uh, when you do that. And unfortunately, uh, you know, a lot of times, sometimes doing nothing is the right move. And I know that there are companies out there that do this all the time. They say, well... Why did you miss earnings in your first quarter? Well, it's because of reasons. And it's like, well, you need to do something about it. Even yeah. though the reasons were largely macro-driven, environmental, like what are you going to do to head yourself against this situation in the future? You've got to show some sort of acknowledgement and action to respond to it. Otherwise, it's like, why did we hire you? Yeah. And that's, that's not necessarily always the best move. And I feel like that's what's happening right now is the Fed has to basically show some level of activity to make it look like they need to do something or they're doing something because they they have a purpose. This is their job. Um, Whereas it's, you know, if we're looking at our goods data and our demand side indicators, it looks like we've already come out of the hottest part of the demand cycle, right? Oh, 100%. I mean, um, that, 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 ship has sailed. Um, I don't know if it's coming to the U.S., but <laughs> <laughs> it sailed. Um, so when we're looking at that, that's going to be one of those areas where it's just so intriguing because when you look at interest rates going up, this is something that's essentially, a, 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 I would say, a longer-term play. This is something that's going to have right. immediate um, downsides for some people. So we're looking at mortgage rates increasing, car notes increasing, things like that. So that's going to be something that impacts the economy and a lot of folks in a perceived negative way. And so you're not going to see the long-term impacts on inflation, per se, I don't think, until further down the road. And so that's going to be some of the rough patches that you see when you're increasing interest rates. And that's why it would have made sense to start this when demand was really, you know, yeah, so one of the hot. Things, one of the things we're talking about on one of our other shows is the fact that people don't buy houses on a whim. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't buy cars on a whim. It's not like, you know what, I'm just going to go buy a car. I mean, some people do. When yeah. I would love to be one of those to have that kind of money. But <laughs> Uh, these are long-term decisions. Capital investments are not made overnight. Mm-hmm. And the interest rate increases are slow to materialize because of that fact, right? Right, yeah. And so this is going to be one of those areas where, you, of course, you hear headlines saying this is going to be one of the most rapid increases since X time frame. So, well, we saw it in the mortgage rates. I saw yeah. a CNBC article said it literally went up like a, over 100 basis points. An average mortgage rate went up over 100 basis points in a week. And this is something that's interesting. So I, I don't quote me on the stat, but there's something that I, I saw like floating around. I have to confirm it, but I think it was somewhere around an increase of one thousand dollars can essentially price out around a hundred thousand folks from being eligible to make a home purchase. Yeah. So um, this is going to be something that kind of continues to price folks out of the, the housing market. And this was something we we're talking about actually. I think January, February, that there's going to be so much home activity pulled forward to avoid the situation here. And so it makes no surprise that we saw. Housing starts down, I think it was somewhere around 14% this morning on a month-to-month basis. Yeah, it's, and those interest rate increases are eroding your equity <laughs> yeah. uh, because people are not able to afford, you know, you, you're not going to lose it all, but it definitely makes a difference 
Because, I mean, and that's, that's a function that I think we're in an environment that that's happening quicker mm-hmm. than I've, ex- I've seen. I mean, I know it's happened before, but it's, it's a very fast-moving environment, which typically isn't the case right. uh, with the mortgage industry. Normally, we see an interest rate increase kind of incrementally over time. This was like a choo. Yeah. So I feel like that's going to make things even more tenuous for the housing market here in the next half year, right? Oh, for sure. And I mean, when you're looking at, of course, new home sales versus existing homes, there are going to be two different kind of, not segments altogether, but two different B. So you're looking at existing home sales. Inventory is indeed increasing. Um, we're still seeing historic levels of tightness, but we're seeing the, the, the downward shift here. We're seeing right. the, the slowdown here. Um, so that's happening right now in existing homes. New homes, I think, are really going to be one of those areas that's going to be, I think, hit hard early on because you're going to look at, of course, there's still a lot of homes in the backlog, but ongoing new activity, builders are going to have to kind of put in some type of incentives to say, hey, no, keep this activity coming. You know, yeah, we want to work through our backlog, but there might be some type of incentives when they see the writing on the wall saying, hey, we need to do something to really kind of pull more potential buyers or prospective buyers in. And so there's going to be so many levers that can be pulled. Right. Um, I don't think any should be pulled by the federal government just because there can be some unintended consequences that can really kind of start to spur other issues that we're, you know, trying to combat right now. The housing market definitely feels like it's teetering on the, on the brink here. Yeah. So um, is employment. Yeah, <laughs> and employment. So we'll, we'll get to stagflation once employment becomes a, a big factor, right? Right, yeah. And I, I think stagflation, um, well, unemployment is definitely, uh, it's, it's it's not looking pretty. I don't think. I don't see any kind of bright signs for. Uh, yeah, I think this this back half of the year is definitely going to be a different one to see played out. Well, thank you so much for watching this week, everybody. Have a great one.